Dr. Shelley Spesser, Director of Student Achievement and Support, effective August 10th, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Anderson, second by Mrs. Blades, and that motion carried 5-0. Second, the board took action to appoint Jose Miranda, a high school assistant principal, effective August 10th, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Freeman, second by Mr. Youngblood, and that motion carried 5-0. Number three, the board took action to appoint Megan Harney, Activities Director, effective August 11th, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Blades, second by Mrs. Anderson, and that motion carried 5-0. Number four, the board took action to appoint Ann Nguyen, Counselor, effective August 11th, 2022. Motion by Mr. Youngblood, second by Mrs. Freeman, that motion carried 5-0. And number five, uh, the board took action to appoint Jason Pike, Counselor, effective August 11th, 2022. Motion by Mrs. Freeman, second by Mrs. Anderson, and that motion carried 5-0. And that brings us now to the Pledge of Allegiance. Mrs. Freeman, will you lead us? Yes, would everyone please rise and let's uh, take a moment to serve the nation's flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible. Okay, Dr. Uh, Matthews, I'm going to pass it along to you and you can introduce our, our presentation. Okay, thank you very much. Um, actually, uh, we are very happy to have our sheriff's police forces here, but I'd like to ask Mr. McElrendon to introduce our guest and uh, to give our presentation tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Matthews. As you're aware, focus area 4.0 of PYLUSD strategic plan, referred to as the Advantage, supports several strategies that maintain a safe and respectful environment at all school sites. Specifically, strategy 4.1 supports the review and implementation of safety protocols at all school sites with input from key stakeholders, including law enforcement agencies. District schools are currently served primarily by four police agencies. Anaheim Police Department, Fullerton Police Department, Placentia Police Department, and the Orange County Sheriff's Department who provide policing services in the city of Yorba Linda. A strong partnership with these agencies is key to ensuring that our campuses are safe and that established safety protocols are reviewed regularly and reflect best practices in emergency response. This includes responding to an active threat on a school campus or school building. Our emergency protocols and procedures are reviewed on an annual basis and updated to include current recommendations from law enforcement. Tonight, at the request of the board, we have invited Chief Butts, Chief of Police for the Placentia Police Department, and Captain Walewa, Chief of Police for the City of Yorba Linda, to join us. Both are here tonight to share with the board how their officers are prepared to respond to any school experiencing an active threat and to answer any questions that you may have. Gentlemen, if you would please join me at the dais. Good evening, everyone. Um, in preparation for tonight, um, Captain Walewa and myself kind of discussed our protocol. Um, as you would expect, we operate 99.9% uh, .9 in the same manner. So. Um, that, that was really a positive for us in discussing our protocols. And um, I wanted to come here tonight and give um, some, some specifics about how are, 
our school resource officers are trained, what training our entire department gets for active shooter, and what we do for incidents that are that are threat incidents to the school. Not active shooter incidents, but when threat of a weapon or threats are made towards the student body. So I want to first start with a, an overview of our SRO program. Placentia has two SRO officers, Officer Lemus and Officer Valdez. That detail is overseen by our patrol watch commander, Lieutenant Chris Anderson. He works directly with them on scheduling, on any safety issues, and he assures that they get the training and communication that they need from the department in order to properly partner with the school in maintaining a safe environment uh, for, for the educational process and really partnering with school staff. Because we have many customers. We're responsible for school safety, the students, the, the district itself, and then the rest of the community. So um, the highest level of customer service goes into the school uh, resource officers program that, that they follow and adhere to. Each year, our SROs receive a one-week-long week training course specific to their duties. This is outside of their academy training and all their perishable skills training that they receive each year. During that course, active shooter scenarios and tactics are discussed and practiced. They actually do hands-on scenarios. In addition to the hands-on scenarios, they have force-on-force -force scenarios where they actually practice live tactics with, um, we call them paint rounds, but they don't feel like you're being painted when you get hit with one, just so you understand. So um, there is a level of um, realness to those training scenarios. And for active shooter, the more experience that we give our officers, the fundamentally the better um, they're going to be able to respond and really rely on second nature training rather than having to kind of figure things out as they go. So it's a repetitive nature is, is our training. Additionally, um, training is provided by um, schools. I'm sorry, we teach active shooter training to schools, uh, city personnel, hospitals, churches, and other entities. Our department has actually come out and trained the school district staff on what they can do to protect themselves in, in active shooter scenarios. And our officers teach those courses. So not only do we know how we're going to react, but we have a good idea of, of, of what we're telling staff and what to expect from staff as well. So let's talk about response to campus threats. This is a lower level issue than active shooter. This is um, something that we you know, maybe deal with once or twice in a, in a year's uh, time. This is like an occasional threat where student posts something online and people see that there might be a weapon or, or a, a threat of bodily harm involved. So we take those very serious. Um, first thing we do is we vet potential threats with our partner, which is OCIAP. They're the Orange County um, Intelligence Assessment Center. They're a local fusion center for threats. And they do assessments for, for events. They do assessments throughout the community. Whenever a department has an issue that, that they hear of a, a, a potential nature of a threat or they're going to have a large crowd, one of the things that we do is we run that, that scenario through the OCIAP. So when we have a school threat, use all available resources for intelligence to vet that out to see if there's any other chatter online or anywhere else that would either prove that to be a credible threat 
or a threat that we just don't know much information about. We also do home visits. Um, so we would come out and do an investigation on those critical incidents, but we do home visits with the parents as well. We do searches. We communicate with the parents, let them know what their, their child or student is doing. And um, most importantly, we keep everybody in the line of communication. So many times um, I have worked with, with our district staff in reporting back on what those threats are. So police departments, um, all of our resources in the district, we actually partner to, to work through those issues. We make arrests when threats are valid or they're meant to be um, of such a nature that it causes, um, I would say fear, um, but we take those very seriously. Now, active shooter incidents, Placentia has not had an active shooter uh, incident. So we plan for what we may face. And um, they're a whole different, um, whole different incident. So these, um, they, they quickly turn chaotic. And that's why we train and we consistently train for active shooter. So um, give you a snapshot of what our officers receive for training. They receive yearly force on force training. Active shooter scenarios comprise a significant component of this training. There are dynamic training scenarios. Officers are faced with live opponents that are actually coming after them and hunting them during the, the training. So they face skilled and live opponents. This induces stress and it's very challenging. And it tests the officer's skills and decision-making under pressure, but they're done in a repetitive nature. We train this way every year, more than once a year, generally about four times is, is, is the active shooter training that we get a year. And they are um, full day scenarios and um, it really ingrains in you, you know, your movements, your tactics, and you get to train with your partners as well. So that whole team moves like a unit. The pain of being hit by training projectiles, as I've mentioned before, adds to the real life experience of this training. Our officers receive in-house firearms training four times a year. The training covers the use of their pistols, their rifles, their shotguns, as well as less lethal tools, because the goal is to use the least amount of force necessary. During the live fire training portion, they are trained on target identification. And another thing that we do is target discrimination face with many targets, you have to pick out what that threat is and address that threat. Do not address non-threats. Shooting on the move, low light configurations, force on force, and most importantly that I mentioned is de-escalation. So we use the force that we need, but then we train to de-escalate when necessary. Active shooter scenarios are not over until that threat has been stopped. That usually involves a shooting and us having to stop the actions of that suspect. Each placentia officer is issued a patrol service rifle. An initial 18-hour course is provided for weapon proficiency and qualification, and they receive ongoing weapons training, and they're equipped with active shooter vests, upgraded armor, ballistic helmets, shields, and trauma kits. So we train for these scenarios. We may or may not face one of these scenarios in Placentia, but we do our best and we stay active and be ready and equipped for them. 
Great planning includes ensuring our officers are familiar with the layout of the schools. So another thing that we do, since we have school resource officers, is we partner our patrol officers with them to go out and learn the layout of the schools. So they actually walk the schools and become more indoctrinated to the layout of the campus. <clears throat> there, they learn about the school's geographical features, campus layouts, and the numbering system. We've actually created maps of the schools that we keep. Um, they're actually online in our NDCs and we have hard copies as well. So if we have an incident, we actually have maps to the school buildings and the campuses. Most of the schools are also um, reviewed. I'm sorry, maps of the schools are also reviewed during our patrol briefings as well. So this is something that we constantly talk about and we constantly train for. Taking immediate action and stopping threats is our focus to active shooter incidents. So we wanted to provide the training that we get, our basic response to active shooter, how we handle critical threats, and an overview of our SRO program. But our SRO program is not separate from patrol. It's an extension of patrol. So when we have our two SROs that work in our high schools, they have a team of patrol officers and detectives behind them. So whenever there's a critical incident, there's more like a dozen officers on the scene, not two, just so you understand how that works. So uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kathleen Willey. Thanks. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here to talk to you about what the Orange County Sheriff's Department does. I, I would go through every point, but I, I don't know that I can you know, do much better than she did a second ago. But that said, wherever I can, and not double up on the things I said, just really, we had a conversation beforehand. Uh, Chief Butts and his staff, was, we work well together. As a matter of fact, they've come to our aid or they needed it intervenally. That deputy's hit recently yes. and ran over um, recently. His staff and we're just complimenting his team for that. So the point of saying all that is um, just to let you all know Communication is great amongst agencies here within the county of Orange, really within the region. So uh, with that introduction, I'll, I'll kind of get into a little bit about what we do with the Orange County Sheriff's Department. Again, I'll, I'll try not to double up too much. And then I'll drill down into our, our SMART team. Um, I think that's an appropriate thing for me to share with everybody in the room. So first things first, you know, um, I'm going to start with kind of like a Q&A. Of course, uh, school safety is a priority. As a matter of fact, I would go out and let them say that it's the priority. There's nothing more important than safety kids it's like kids and then we'll start worrying about everything else and that's it I can tell you when I interviewed for the city of Nova Linda um, that was a huge factor not only what the city council pushed with me it's like what's your stance on school safety active shooter training that was just the, they kind of led with that so um, I, I knew this was a great place to work because I, I knew that our priorities were just in tune with each other so with that said the school and um, sheriff's department um, the schools within your blended they handle actually a annual active shooter training drills in the schools now fun fact um, it's not required it's not required by the state or by statute however uh, the school's taking a proactive choice or it's just that the district has taken a proactive stance and working with their law enforcement partners to get the training in so the schools do annual drills um, in addition to that uh, we do have an sro um, primarily his uh, station is over at the Yorba high school but he's able to go out and help out at the other schools throughout the, the city, throughout the city of Nova Linda. And that SRO every year does a site walk, a walk around the campuses. Um, but really, it's really interesting, but when you walk through the first time, you walk through the second time, 
and then maybe in the, even the sixth time. Sometimes you, you see something that just stands out like, hey, you know, we could probably be better at that. And I think all of us can probably relate to kind of like, you know, I like that paint six years ago, but I think I'm going to paint a different color today, right? So the reality is we look at things in the same lens and, and try to just adjust as we get better at what we do. And uh, we obviously want to uh, work with our schools to make sure that it gets done. Uh, another, some additional information is really when it comes to lockdown drills or even lockdowns within the schools, they, schools don't have to wait for us. I mean, they have the option to do it, and they've got tons of training. And as um, you, you've heard about, and hopefully you've got on the website and seen the schools a plan for safety, they have a robust uh, safety message and, and the safety plan that's out there, and, and we're in tune with that, and we're working with all of them. Some additional uh, measures that I can just touch on briefly. Um, again, staff and student prepare, preparedness is paramount. Uh, school has what they call lock blocks, which um, obviously they're, they're meant to keep intruders or people who mean harm to our students and our loved ones to get in the classroom, so those are a great tool. We train on a regular basis. Um, there's continually, they're continuing to assess and add cameras where needed, and of course, we always do continue assessments. There is a training that we just did, we just wrapped it up a couple weeks ago. So uh, the Sheriff's Department has something called the SRO Summit, School Resource Officer Summit. So that's where officers and deputies from throughout the, the area come and they train for a full week and, and they get up the latest and greatest information on school uh, safety. And uh, this year we're really proud of Riverland because uh, the Riverland High School actually um, hosted the active shooter portion of that training. So there you had law enforcement officers, law enforcement professionals, as well as school um, administration working together to see, hey, where are some friction points or some areas that we might find where things might slow down and how can we best help each other? And I thought that was just a real great example to see school staff working with law enforcement professionals ahead of any potential threat that could come up. In addition to that, um, our uh, OCSD SWAT team has done training at the Grove High School. Um, our SWAT team just loves to train and they try not to break stuff, but they, they do from time to time. Um, our school resource officer does a lot of officer friendlies. When I say that, I just mean he goes out and talks to students. He has conversations about gun safety and things like that, and uh, go from there. Kind of moving forward to just a brief touch on the OKAC. Um, you can actually go on the Orange County Sheriff's Department website, a little shameless plug. Uh, check the Orange County Sheriff's website if you want more information on the OKAC. But really, it's a team of uh, uh, law enforcement partners, including both federal and, and, and state and local law enforcement partners who get together to, to do all that intelligence that she was talking about a while ago. Um, Orange County has a fusion center. If you look it up, you're going to find that there are not many fusion centers out here, but we in this amazing place called Orange County have it. And they do a great job. They're constantly working. We get a threat, we send it their way. Um, and also, um, another interesting point is um, schools can actually submit those um, suspicious activity reports directly to the cop. They don't have to come to the cops. They can actually directly submit those. So there's that's one of those things that we do to kind of eliminate or reduce friction. I'm going to wrap up talking about SMART. I think it's just appropriate to talk about it. So the School Mobile Assessment and a Resource Team, otherwise known as SMART, is a multi-agency threat assessment team that responds to incidents related to violence, threats of violence, possession and or use of weapons, unstable behaviors, suicidal actions or tendencies that pose a threat to others at K-12 schools. Um, I'm not going to read you the five pages I have here. I just highlight some things I wanted to share with you. Though. Orange County has a North County and a South County SMART team. Each of them has a sergeant, and they also have clinicians attached to those teams. And the reason why we talk about clinicians is because we take a holistic approach to dealing with school safety. At the end of the day, we're talking about kids. So if maybe there's a, a young person that has some type of mental health issue or some type of crisis that they're going through, 
we're not just looking to, I mean, the juvenile system really isn't meant to lock people up. It's meant to really help people. So if we can get a person and get ahead of some issues, that's our, our goal. So that's why we have that, that holistic approach to it. We also have our own district attorney, uh, assistant district attorney that is uh, like our own vertical attorney. So if it, it does rise to a level of crime, they work directly with the SMART team. So that kind of helps with efficiency in terms of dealing with crimes. Their overall goal is to evaluate and assess each incident individually. So there's no just one size fits all model. So we approach that. But when it comes to uh, assessing threats to schools, uh, we use an evidence-based approach. It's an evidence-based approach. It's actually called the Comprehensive School Threat Assessment Guidelines, otherwise known as CSTAG. Once again, uh, shameless plug, Google that, CSTAG. Uh, you'll get a bunch of information more than I can talk about in the time I have a lot of time. <coughs> but the one thing I can tell you is CSTAG is a um, nationally recognized assessment model that we use within our SMART team in order to assess threats and to address threats. Again, the whole point is to determine whether or not the threat is what we call transient or otherwise known as just not really, um, I'll give you the definition as it's written. It's not as serious as you, as you might think. It's all threats that do not reflect a genuine intent to harm others. They reflect expressions of humor, anger, frustration, or fear. So I'm playing with my buddy playing handball and I see something that I shouldn't say out of you know, a moment, heated moment. We try to determine if that's one of those. The other kind of threat out there is a substantive threat or a serious threat. And those, that's behaviors or statements that represent a serious risk of harm to others. So it's characterized by qualities that reflect serious intent, such as planning and preparation, recruitment of accomplices, and acquisition of weapons. So we're looking into all those things. And again, we have a robust team, only working with officers who know what they're doing, and agencies who know what they're doing, but it's also working with our impact team. So that, I think, I'll summarize it there, because uh, I feel like I'm selling something at a raffle or something, you know, really fast to talk to fans, but I just want to kind of open some space. Um, and just uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Any questions from our board? Hi, Chief. Um, you mentioned numbers on the roof, and I don't know if our community knows, but a number of years ago, um, we had numbers painted on the top of every building at every school so that if we do have incidents, um, then people, the, the police can see and sheriffs can see things from above and be able to identify which classrooms or which buildings that things are in um, so that they can get there much faster. So I'm glad you brought that up. They are six foot numbers that we have uh, up on those roofs. And when we originally put them up, it was with the idea of the helicopter. When, yeah. Duke is in the sky and you're looking down, they can get good communication to the officers on the ground. But in our drill last week, one of the things that I thought was neat was they're now starting to use drones for that same purpose. So they actually launch the drone during the drill that can give that same look to the officers, which has really evolved with the technologies that are there. So that was certainly very impressive, but it does help uh, with the communication of the officers that are on the ground with, with where the activity might be happening on a school campus. If I can add to that. In Orange County, we have the ability, all mutual aid agencies have the ability to go to literally one channel and communicate. So uh, a lot of counties don't have that capability. Um, we've had our road <coughs> channel uh, program for many decades. Um, we were kind of a pioneer county to have that. So if we are in an incident and the Sheriff's Department responds in Anaheim and Fullerton and Oregon and Park, and even Costa Mesa, it doesn't matter which Orange County agency it is, we have the ability to communicate, to hear each other, and to talk on that same channel. So those numbers on the top of that building, they mean the same thing to everybody listening to the, to the broadcast. So that mm -hmm. makes for safer, better coordination. It gets us to where we need to go much quicker. 
just want to make a comment that um, I certainly appreciate. I know we all did the presentation. And um, summarizing and reminding us just how much is being done and has been done and is ongoing. And communication, as you've just been talking about, is so key. Um, just grateful for the, the positive uh, collaboration and, and partnership that we have with you as a citizen in the community, but also certainly for a source. And again, just thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Hello. Um, my comment is similar to Mrs. Freeman. I just wanted to thank you for prioritizing the SRO program and providing those resources to our schools. Um, did not have that from all of our police agencies and that support our district. Um, they support us in other ways, which we're grateful for, but we really love, you know, the people on the ground interacting with our staff and our students on a daily basis. And I think that is really a key and important part of keeping our students safe. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to thank you, um, and I hope that we can continue to keep the open line of um, communication. And uh, from the bottom of my heart, I back the blue. Um, we back the blue. We're very, very um, grateful for you guys. And also, too, I really hope that we can um, have more of our officers on our elementary campuses because you really are the heroes, and you are fire, firefighters, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you guys are. You're looked up um, at. And I just think that if we, at a young age, can just show that you guys, you know, you're the good guys. You guys are protective. And I really liked um, what the captain behind you said. Um, kids are the first priority. Um, I think any law enforcement firefighter, it always hits you home when it happens to do with the kids. Um, and so I just thank you for pointing that out. That you guys are, our kids are really a huge priority. And I feel like after tonight, um, our community will feel much safer. Um, and that you guys have this plan, um, and that you guys, you know, are going to respond um, in a timely fashion and handle business. So, just really thank you. You're welcome. All right, one more. <laughs> Sorry, Chief. Uh, thanks again for being here uh, this evening. Uh, one of the questions I had for you was: uh, you made mention that uh, your uh, SROs they will uh, send an assessment to either yourself or the district. Is that something in which uh, the, the public can look at as far as uh, things in which they may be recommending, or is that something which uh, is just district privy? So um, I think we might be crossing into information that the council <coughs> provided. But that was an assessment of maybe a threat. And that is, if, does that sound right? Um, I'm not sure if it was coming out of my presentation or not. Um, to, to clarify, when we have a threat on campus, we do an assessment, right. and um, and that is basically sent for for review to the OCIA to provide any additional information. Tr Trustee Youngblood, if that's, you're talking about maybe assessments of each campus when we do the safety walks. Is right. that what yeah. Oh, exactly. The, the safety walks. You mentioned, uh, you know, the the uh, uh, the SROs. They're walking the the schools. They're getting a the layout of the. The schools and plans and so forth. Yes, exactly. Is there a, an assessment which they send out back to either the department or to the district in, in order for us to see where weaknesses are, where areas that we could possibly improve? Um, so, in, to be honest, we have not done that. That's a very good idea. I think that's taking our walkthroughs to the next level. We always want to do that. 
our walkthroughs are for familiarity for our personnel. And so we have an incident that's in a certain area of campus. Uh, they kind of know the layout and the exits and doors and windows. And, but um, doing a security assessment and providing that information, I think, I think that's a service that we can provide. Um, I'll work with our staff and I'll communicate back with the district. Um, I, we have a meeting set up um, to kind of debrief a prior incident and uh, create some plans for the future with the <coughs> superintendent as well in another week. So um, that'll give you some time to put some framework together and, and lay that out. I appreciate that, Chief. And then, um, you know, I'm sure once we're able to gather information like that, then uh, maybe there'll be something which the uh, the district can um, budget for more our, uh, SROs because it would be nice to have them at our uh, middle school campus campuses as well. It's important to note that for the city of Placentia, we have two full-time SROs, but that while they're physically housed the two comprehensive high schools, they do provide direct support to the middle schools and the elementary schools. There isn't anyone you know, physically on the campus at all times on the, the middle and high or middle and elementary schools, but they're regularly on those campuses responding to different needs as, as they do arise. So our, our principals at our school sites at the middle and the elementary have direct access to those SROs that can be called out if there are situations that occur on those campuses. But um, certainly um, we actually have on the agenda tonight a consideration for the two SROs that we do have in Placentia as well as your window. Thank you again. Appreciate it. That kind of brings back something that I believe in the past has been said, and I don't know the current status of this. Um, and that is that um, other officers that uh, during their duty time do sometimes utilize some of our different campuses to stop by if it's a matter to done, do some paperwork, etc. Is that still an ongoing? So uh, that is uh, what we actually mandate our officers to do is every four months um, they are basically there's a rescheduling of our patrol force and part of our expectations for our officers is that in whatever their new beat is that they go and visit the schools they introduce themselves they walk the campuses they get to know the staff and kind of lay out of the schools that's that familiarization and they're doing it every four months Sometimes staff's like, oh, you're here again. We do this periodically. So that is something we do. Um, and we have a position that we just created that's coming aboard. It's called community outreach. So when we talked about linking with kids and spending more time with our officers with kids, this is a conduit for that. This person will actually do a job that you're familiar with. Um, and, um, and they are basically going to going to be handling all of our community events, um, social media, and one of the big areas for them would be um, getting out to the schools and lining up our officer with canines, you know, motors when we have them. Staffing is always a challenge for public safety, so, but we always make time. We, we value the partnership that we have with the district. We always make time. We always partner. It's been very successful. Just a quick addition. Um, I support exactly what you're saying. <clears throat> I encourage the deputies to uh, both at schools and houses of worship to um, when there's downtime or they need to catch up on some either log or some paperwork to spend the time at those locations. So I think 
Um, yeah, that's the way we're on the road. So I hate to do this to you, but I gotta run. I apologize, everybody. Thank you, Captain, for being here. Can we give them both a round of applause? Because our student board member is not here, can we remove general function one, which is her approval from the agenda? We'll bring it back next time. So I need approval for the agenda, please. I'll make a motion to approve the agenda. I'll second. Motion by Mrs. Freeman, second by Mrs. Blades. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Motion carried. Aye. And that brings us to our public comment uh, announcement. And we have forms available over here in the foyer. I have a, a staff here ready. Um, they must be completed prior to our designated time for public comment, and we provide a 30-minute maximum um, for public comment and a five-minute maximum per person. Um, we have 16 now, so we'll divide that up a little bit before we get to it. Um, do we have a couple more ones? Okay. Um, if any translation is needed, please let us know, um, and we can provide some extra time for you. Um, and again, we have a full room, so and we're kind of getting near the beginning of school, so I'll just announce that we uh, remind everybody that we have a civility policy um, from Ed Code 220 that prohibits discrimination on the basis of disability, gender, gender identity, gender expression, nationality, race, or ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or any other characteristic that is contained in the definition of hate crime set forth in Section 422.55 of the Penal Code, including immigration status. So that takes us to approval of minutes. Can I have approval for the minutes for July 12th? I'll make a motion to approve the minutes uh, for the regular meeting of July 12th, 2022. I'll second. Okay. Motion by Mrs. Blades, second by, or sorry, by Mr. Youngblood, second by Mrs. Blades. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And did you want to? So would you, you're going to abstain. So we have um, four ayes and one abstention. And Mrs. Anderson is the abstention. Okay, all those in favor? Okay, and that brings us to our superintendent's report. Dr. Matthews. Thank you, and good evening. Um, again, this is President Buck, trustees and executive cabinet members. I want to start my report by talking about some of the things I continue to learn as your new superintendent. Um, uh, it's been about six weeks now as a new superintendent. Very proud of you so and so. Um, first of all, last week was an exciting week to welcome back our principals, assistant principals, and other district administrators uh, following their summer recess. We brought this group together to reconnect and discuss and plan the new school year. It's a fantastic group, and they're all very excited about what's going to be transpiring this school year. Uh, at that meeting and at the class meeting, I spoke about what I've seen with the high quality and caring spirit of our employees. 
I continue to see the pride that I saw in the last meeting um, that I see almost in every new encounter I have with an employee. I see that pride and that caring again and again. So over the last month, that initial impression I had, which was so positive of the people in this district, has not changed one bit. In fact, it's only been enhanced. Our employees make PYLUSD a remarkable place. So our theme this year is um, for the 22-23 school year is mission possible, positive impact. And a positive impact is what we need to have on each and every student that we have. Uh, we're here for every single one of our students, and that's the work we have to do. It's this collective commitment that all students can learn and be inspired through a rigorous and relevant curriculum experience, driven with high-quality instruction and enrichment in athletics activities and the arts. We have a 2022 early bird professional development that is around that very concept. So beginning on August 15th, teachers across the district will have the opportunity to participate in in-person and online professional development sessions appropriate for all grade levels and all content areas. Many of these sessions will be led by our very own PYLUSD teachers, and the full course catalog has already been shared with teachers, and we're looking forward to kicking off the early bird PD, the PYL way, early next week. I want to thank our entire educational services department for their efforts in this area and all the teachers who are not only leading these sessions, but will be taking these sessions. I'd also like to take this opportunity to address some, um, some comments that were made at the last meeting. We can't always put those on the board agendas, but, uh, but I do. I, I appreciate our public comments. And the first one is safety. And we've all obviously started our meeting hitting safety hard here, but um, that was one of the concerns that I heard repeatedly. And we recognize that having a safe environment is essential. Uh, I believe it was said it is the most essential thing that we could be doing uh, on the campuses. We do not uh, condone any kind of unsafety, uh, lack of safety on our campuses, including we of course do not condone weapons being brought on our campus or any kind of violence by students or staff on our campus. It's impossible to ignore any events, whether they're local or national, that make us worried about our own safety about our employees' safety and our students' safety. And we, we, but as we look at it, and I think you heard it tonight, um, we work very closely with our PD and our sheriff. And I'm, I, I actually learned quite a bit tonight and meeting with the, both of those leaders uh, later on, in fact, very soon. But to hear the cooperation that we had doesn't surprise me. It's what school districts do. But there's an incredible level of communication and collaboration that goes on with our PD and our OC sheriffs. I think you can see how highly trained they are, how the training is repeated. They communicate with us extraordinarily well, and they have to because there's incidents that come up throughout the year where it may be nothing, it may be something, and we always have to communicate. I'm very proud of our relationship, and everyone should feel good about the safety that it inspires. Over recent years, the district has implemented several initiatives, programs, and practices to, to improve safety and wellness in the area of emergency preparedness, emergency response, mental and emotional wellness, and physical health. That being said, we are always looking to improve. As a teacher, as an administrator, and like everyone in this room, almost uh, as a parent, it's what we want. It's what we want for our students, it's what we want for our employees, and it's what we want for our community. And we encourage the community to visit our own website, our pylusd.org safety, to learn more about our efforts in these areas. The other thing I heard repeatedly at the last meeting uh, was about concerns about our younger students and their performance in reading. And it, it, it actually pleases me that the concern is so high for 
academic instruction. That's what we're all about here is making sure our students can learn. And so thank you for that concern. And I want to assure us that our overall literacy, literacy scores in the district continue to be strong in spite of all the challenges that COVID has provided to us and around the nation. But as we can expect, where COVID has hit the hardest and where we're gonna see even tonight's presentation where our concerns are, 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 we have targeted demographic groups and they're the ones who have suffered the most during COVID and we need to double and redouble our efforts to address those. And I think you'll hear in our presentation tonight by Dr. Leon that we've been, we started a great program last year with that and we're expanding it this year. Um, we continue to invest our time, energy and resources into supporting these targeted groups We'll use our new academic support teachers, which you'll hear all about. And uh, I appreciate Dr. Adamson and Dr. Leon sharing that information with us. Um, and then transitioning into, as we all gear towards August 30th, which is our first day of school, which I, I've been meeting a lot of adults. <laughs> I'm ready to see some kids on our campuses. And, but we've been doing a, a heck of a lot of work in there. I'm very grateful to our entire maintenance, maintenance and facilities team, uh, Assistant Superintendent David Giordano, and uh, Director Brad Runge, they've been doing great work with their staff. I talked about that last time. I am overwhelmed by the high quality of our facilities here and the great care and pride taken in all the new painting, fencing, roofing, resurfacing, cleaning, and various other projects being done. It's a lot of work, and I thank you all very much. Our, um, uh, the other preparations we've been doing come from our Human Resources Department. Summer is a very busy time for human resources. Uh, they've been doing that work, hiring all kinds, and you've seen it in our board reports, of certificated and classified personnel. I really appreciate all the work of our highly professional human research department, and we will be ready for the school year when it begins. Finally, I want to take this opportunity to talk about our preparations for the school year in terms of safety, in particular COVID-19 on our campuses. Uh, we will continue our current health and safety mitigation strategies, and they include our air purification units in classrooms, offices, and other spaces. We'll have enhanced fil uh, filtration in our facilities. We have our cleaning and disinfecting protocols that we're continuing. We have extra hand washing and hand sanitizing stations. And masks are not required, but all individuals have the option to wear a mask if they so choose. We'll be giving more details about the school year in the coming weeks. And we can't wait to see what it has in store for us, but I hope it's gonna bring the joy and uh, positivity that the beginning of the school year always brings. Uh, all of us can't wait for that to begin. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that. I think we're all looking forward to it. Yes. Regular year start. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, so now we'll move into our communications and board report. Okay. Let's I'm sorry, I was actually thinking about it, but yet it rolled up so fast. So it's confident. Well, really, there's two things that I was going to cover. First of all, to my other assignment on behalf of this district, and that is to represent us at um, North Orange County ROP at the board. And uh, we had a regular board meeting the day after our last board meeting in July in this district. 
and uh, we had, as we've been having here, many of the, the normal summer uh, activities in terms of things that are approved during the summer uh, and things that are, of course, approved for the school year coming. Um, in this interim period of time, we've also, and I think I did say this at the last board meeting, that uh, we have been looking for a new assistant superintendent of educational services. And that now has been accomplished. So tomorrow evening at my North Orange County ROP board meeting, we will be bringing forth the name of Dr. Kelly uh, Kennedy, who is currently at Brea Olenda. Um, and she will be coming uh, very soon, I believe it's in early September, uh, into the North Orange County ROP organization as the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services. Everyone's really excited to have her uh, join us. And so that's the latest on one of the more significant pieces going on in ROP. Uh, I should also add, though, last Thursday, the 4th, I think that was, um, we had our annual back to school in service. Um, it was a full day beginning at 7.30. It was all hands, mandatory. Um, but a great, great program. I say but because who wants to come in <laughs> in the middle of summer? But um, after all, the other, we are one of the, if not the only district that starts at the time that we do. The other school districts that are part of North Orange County ROP, that would be Fullerton, Brea, Los Alamitos, and Anaheim Union High School. Um, they are starting sooner than us. So um, back to this day, it was very well spent. Um, first of all, we had our new superintendent speak with us. And then also, what I think was most striking in addition to the keynote speaker was um, the student panel that we had. We had six students um, from the various districts. One of them, in fact, our very own Emily Carr, who graduated just a few years ago from Esperanza High School. She went through a medical academy there. And, she has succeeded very well um, at um, Brigham Young, and now she's going further um, seeking um, her career in the field of medicine. So anyway, the panelists were great. Uh, what was very striking was that the students, um, they themselves realized that they each do learn in different ways. And um, they said about how particularly for having a career technical education course, that it really was so dynamic and meaningful to, to be learning, whether it's science, math, um, reading, whatever, languages as well, um, and then take what you're learning and then start applying it into, into a, uh, a skill, into a career path that you may be interested in pursuing. And so the panel was great. We had one student who, uh, had gone through the EMT program in Los Alamitos and now has a physician while he's moving upward. Um, uh, he works in Huntington Beach. We had um, an American Sign Language student from Oxford Academy out of Anaheim Union. And um, I mentioned Emily. We had a student from Bayonne, I'm forgetting the name right now, uh, but uh, that person was um, in their um, digital arts and media. And I'm trying to think but anyway, it was a great panel, and again, for all of our staff, the staff that's behind the scenes as well as for the instructors, um, for them to hear students very candidly share 
what it's like to be in classes and what's meaningful, what is done for them, and, and the, the questions that were put forth were excellent, and it's really a, a great, great panel. Uh, and we had a keynote speaker, it was Rachel, uh, she was speaker Rachel Mann, who is both an instructor and an um, author. She came in from Arizona to do the presentation, and again, it was talking to how to reach your students, um, especially with, I think, the impact that everyone has gone through with COVID and what that really translates to mean. And she believes that every time you have contact with a student, that that in itself is an intervention of a sort. And so it was a good day. Um, and with that, I'm going to conclude other than to say that I, too, want to say thank you uh, to all of the district staff. Whatever you are doing, have been doing, will be doing, summer isn't a slow time, as has been said. So thank you to all. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, so this uh, this month, obviously, was uh, seemed to have gone by really quick, but uh, here we are looking at the beginning of school already, uh, which is great for some of us. Um, for myself, um, I, I have to give uh, uh, a little, little bit of credit with uh, Mr. McAlinden over there. Uh, he, myself, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Matthews we got together and we uh, talked a little more about the school safety, uh, and it just so happened that the, the uh, the program that was happening with the the OC sheriffs and their uh, their team uh, just fell right in in line with it. So it was really nice to to kind of see that we do need still some uh, areas in which we can improve on. It's obviously one of those ones where we can constantly improve because uh, when it comes to to safety, your kids are are definitely number one, uh, the highest priority. Uh, so we worked on that as well as uh, we talked about. Uh, uh, the mental health uh, aspects, and we've got uh, we've got a program in which is uh, is on board. I think it's coming up for a uh, renewal, uh, but it's an amazing um, amazing site in which uh, they offer a lot of suicide prevention and and things that uh, can benefit our students as well as our uh, staff and um, and teachers. So uh, that's kind of what we did. I'm looking forward to the leadership symposium. Uh, coming up uh, here, I think uh, it's day after tomorrow, so that should be fun. I'll get to, to meet a lot of the other uh, leaders in the district, uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I did get a, um, a little bit of the taste of Yorba Linda, which was pretty amazing. Um, I, you know, I'd like to say that uh, the, the evening was uh, just <laughs> just uh, wrought with food, but uh, there, was, uh, there was other things that were going on as well. Uh, it was nice to see a lot of you out, out there. Uh, I did get to talk with a lot. I, I didn't do any TV interviews, however. Sorry, Andy. Um, <laughs> there is the Taste of Placentia that will be coming up soon. So, uh, folks, if you get an opportunity, go ahead and go out there and uh, just enjoy uh, all the different cultural foods and just the, just the merriment of uh, being together. And uh, that's all I have for my board. I had to laugh at um, at Sean right now because uh, I had an extra ticket for Tasty or Belinda, so I went on a limb and invited him <laughs> as my guest. And so we had a, a really fun night. We saw a lot of people in the community. We had a really great time. Um, so I was in Stater Brothers 
And somebody came up to me and asked if there was an update on our dual language academy for Glenview and Bernardo and how the process is looking and when Bernardo's going to be up and running. Um, and so I promised I would look into that. Um, Stater Brothers is a hot topic or a hot spot to bring up school board topics and topics in, you know, I'd like to say I'm in the vegetable section a lot. Um, but, you know, it kind of moves you or some of the topics are hard, so we kind of maybe go over to the alcohol section, while speaking. <laughs> um, and so that, that was brought up, and I thought, well, that's a, that's a great question for everybody to know because that's kind of our new, uh, a new deal at Foodie and Bernardo. Um, and also, too, since myself and... Uh, Mr. Giordano both have chocolate labs. I feel like I can ask for money more often now because I kind of like will throw a picture of my, my chocolate lab to him and, you know, soften the blow when I ask for money. But um, I really would like to find a way to try to get more money and access to our sports programs, our arts programs, our band, our cheer, like music, everything. We seem to have all these ESSER 3 uh, funds floating around, and so I'm just wondering if there's any chance that we can get any money into these programs, um, if there's anything uh, laying around. And also, um, also, um, I don't know what the process is. I feel like I kind of know since I sit on some boosters, but it seems like with the coaches stipends, is there a better way that things can be handled or done or maneuvered differently? Because it seems kind of like our coaches kind of sit there for months at a time, maybe without getting paid, or um, they're waiting for a long period of time depending on the sports. And so I'm trying to grasp and like trying to understand. It seems like everywhere, like whatever sport you go to, like they have a different outlook, but is there a different way of possibly, um, you know, paying or, or maybe looking at the thing and maybe I can, on the slide, maybe I can tell you one of some of the, um, <laughs> the complaints that that has been. Um, and I'll make sure I bring a good chocolate lab story when I get there so it won't be <laughs> all depressing and just ask, asking for money. Um, but I really feel like these are like, this is what like people are drawn to our schools. It's either they have, you know, great academics, but then, you know, there's a manufacturing program, or there's a cooking program, or they have a great football team, or a great basketball team. And so I feel like if we can really invest in these athletes um, and the arts and the band and, like, really bring our programs back up, like, we will be a magnet for people. And people worry about, uh, you know, leaving public school system and stuff. I think we should, like, just make it so spectacular if we can and just really try to, you know, use the next few years just to invest in these programs. Um, that would kind of be a goal, but then it's always, like, a money thing. So I always have to turn back to, to Mr. Giordano, and then he likes to turn and run away. So, <laughs> so that would be something that I would really, really like to look into this year. Um, and then another thing, too, that um, this didn't hit me in the food aisle um, or at the supermarket this time, but, you know, so many people have reached out and they've asked, you know, do we have clinics on our campuses? Are our kids going to be vaccinated when they go to school? Um, are they going to re uh, receive any type of medications that we don't know about? Um, and so I would like to, I don't, and I would hope that um, the board could possibly support, I would like to have a resolution in the future just that we work with our parents and that we basically say that we're not going to allow any vaccinations, any clinics, Planned Parenthood, any type of representatives that will give any type of money, any type of, um, not money, but any type of medications any type of medical treatments on our campuses. Like when you drop your child off to school in the morning, or even if they drive themselves to school in the morning, we should be, um, parents should be assured that when they come back, they're gonna come back in the same condition as when they were dropped off. Yes. Yes. Yes.
parental rights issue. This is a student's right. And, you know, we've heard so many stories about things that have happened on school campuses. And, you know, they've gone home and there's been allergic reactions and parents have no idea what's going on or what's happening to their child. And so I just feel that it would be, um, I think we'd have the trust um, back into our community that we're just not going to offer that in our district. And so I'm hoping that in the future we can maybe have a resolution and we can just say, you know, this is going to be a place of learning and this is not going to be medical facilities. Yes. Yeah. It was valuable information, and I really would say, from a law enforcement perspective, um, you know, I've been out of the game for about 10 years now, but it is when I absolutely said the kids are, I mean, anything that happens to kids, it is such a high priority for firefighters, for, for police officers. When this stuff happens, it really can tug at your heartstrings, especially if you're a parent. And so um, I appreciate them, and I, and I know, I know every single law enforcement officer will respond um, appropriately and uh, you know quickly and they will have our, our children and our schools our teachers our staff everybody's best interest at heart when they do that and I'm confident um, and so again I want to thank them for their presentation and that's all I have for <coughs> good evening everybody I hope um, you guys have all had a blast in the summer because I have and um, I'm ready to get back to work um, I did attend um, Ed Soares put on a California math frameworks discussion, kind of a panel discussion. And I don't know if you guys have been following this at all, but California's been working on a new math framework for three, three years. Don't quote me, but I think it's three years. And it's it's been kind of controversial because there's two different points of view that are being kind of juggled at the state level. One is where everyone is basically, can't hear me? Um, one is where the state um, is suggesting that everyone stays pretty much the same through the junior level of high school and um, where you focus on big ideas uh, of math and math concepts. And the other one is, you know, kind of like the more traditional math um, where you teach the students where they're at and help them excel to whatever they can achieve. And so multiple levels of math at each level. So every student is being pushed at their appropriate spot. So I've been following this uh, math framework for quite a while. And um, anyone have any thoughts on that? And you can send me an email. And I think that is I have the same thoughts because um, as I've been gone so much this summer, I've been reading our board updates and I've wanted to thank our HR department uh, for not taking the summer off like I did and making sure that we have the staff to start the school year and all the hard work that's gone into that. And I've noticed it and I just want to thank you very much. And the same respect, our maintenance and facilities um, department. Um, this summer I had two home improvement projects and I like to hire you guys as services because they are still not complete. And and I read um, all your many completions and making sure our um, staff, our schools are ready for our students with um, all the, the little things. I'm just so grateful for all the detail that goes into that. And thank you so much. And I'm really excited for school to start. And I wish all of our staff and our 
um, administrators and our teachers coming back with all that good summer vibe <coughs> energy to get to the finish, you know, the start of the new school year and be prepared for our students to start on August 8th. So thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I'm also looking forward to the leadership symposium on Thursday and the Taste of Placentia Thursday night. So it's going to be a, a double whammy day. Um, I'm really looking forward to school registration next week. Uh, my my daughter is in high school and is going to be a junior this year, and, and so we are, and she's going to be doing a little blended version this year at um, at the Comprehensive High School, but also at Buena Vista and doing a little bit of both and taking a class at Fullerton College. Um, so I'm excited to see what that's going to look like. My older two have done IB and AP, and she's doing the, the dual enrollment, um, which we haven't done before. So I'm going to be experiencing something new. Um, and um, as we're talking about things that we'd like to see um, in our presentation that we had tonight and, and what we're going to be approving tonight, um, and we've mentioned it a couple of times, I brought it up a couple of times, we've talked about it at um, a variety of meetings, including our LCAP. And we do not have an SRO at Esperanza. And it concerns me. It's concerned me for years. And if we have the funds right now, I think that it would behoove us to spend it priority first on making sure that SRO is available at Esperanza. And then we build it. Everybody up here will feel the same way. Um, of course, we're not going to vote on it because it's not an agendized item or anything like that. But um, if I had a wish, that would be that we look into that to see if we can fund that and then um, build that out for, for ongoing. Um, and um, I'm going to stop there. Um, we haven't had any really OCSBA or CSBA things um, over the summer. Um, that's getting ready to kick up. So report back on that next time. President Buck, we do have a, a couple of uh, things. Uh, we have a uh, a birthday that two of our trustees share uh, so I just wish a, uh, a, happy, a birthday. happy birthday to um, trustee Freeman and trustee Blades yes happy birthday to you <laughs> all right so that concludes our communications and board report and we'll move next into uh, our public comment so we have perfect I need a number so now we have 20 so everybody will have three minutes Correct. Two minutes. Two minutes. Well, two minutes. Sorry. Thank you. Yes. Two minutes. Yeah, we're gonna go. Um, about a minute and a half. Maybe to kind of trim it down a little bit. Let's let's go for. Um, if you can set that for a minute and a half, a little. <laughs> Thank you. So I will call three people up. Actually, maybe I'll just do four. And if you want to take a seat in the front, um, get ready, um, and then we'll go from there. So Karen Alexic, Sue Sawyer, Sarah Phillips, and Linda Mannion will be our first four speakers. Karen Alexic. I'm here tonight speaking as a teacher of this district. For 26 years, Brookhaven Elementary has been my second home. I am also a proud member of Apple. As of last May, 
PYL USD employed approximately 1,129 teachers. 1,038 were members of Apple. Around 92% of teachers in this district are members. On my shirt is our motto, your child matters. Daily teachers demonstrate this. I've compiled a few examples. Schools across the district adopt families for holidays. We support the REACH Foundation Shamrock Run every year. We provided 3,000 bags of materials and food to our community during COVID. Members donated toys to our military families. We provide scholarships for high school seniors. We donated money to provide yard signs for seniors graduating during COVID. We donated funds received to the Gear Up program. As part of CTA, we advocate on the state and national levels for increased funding for public education so that all students have access to a great public school with the resources they need to be successful. We are Apple and we are your children's teachers. We share the same goals. All students should have the resources needed to succeed. Let's work together and get back to what we do best, supporting and celebrating our students. For the honor to serve in this uh, amazing district. I really appreciate it. It's totally an honor to serve, uh, just as much as an honor to serve in the United States Marine Corps. I want to talk to you tonight about the subscriptions that we use. I know some are on the um, agenda. Thank you. And for Mr. Giordano and to Ms. Blades, I have a little yellow lamp puppy that will help us some additional subscriptions. But I'm wondering if we might be able to modify how we do subscriptions. I love Nearpod. I see it's on. I'm hoping that's the yay vote. Um, but teachers teach in different ways, just like our children learn in different ways. And we all use different subscriptions in our classrooms. We can't just use one thing and expect the kids always to be in that. And I'm wondering if we just might be able to look at which teachers use which subscriptions instead of getting a district-wide subscription where they're not all being used so that that doesn't necessarily have to come out of our pockets. I've had a company in the past, but I know that's not the same. And so I'm just wondering if it might be a more efficient use of money if we look at what's there. I don't know what the, the district discounts are, but that's my ask for you tonight. And I'm willing to not give you my puppy, but I'll bring my puppy over. <laughs> I'm Sarah Phillips. I'm the librarian at Yorba High School. <clears throat> Happy National Book Lovers Day. I hope that everybody read some good books this summer. I certainly did. Um, yesterday was my first day back, getting ready for back to school days next week when we check out all the textbooks to everyone for the year. Uh, I started attending school board meetings um, last year to give information about libraries and promote reading and um, in our district in general. <laughs> And I keep coming back and attending and speaking because I have a passion for my work. I started in PYLUSD as an English uh, language arts teacher at Esperanza in 1998. Um, I had the opportunity to move to the library and I took it. I did not know how much I loved librarianship until I started doing the job. 
Information literacy and digital citizenship were important when I started in 2000 and even more so now in 2022. Libraries are an equalizing force. Libraries fill gaps and provide services that many don't realize until they ask a librarian and they say, I can help with that. That is what I like most about my job, the helping part. Whatever the problem is, I help my students, my teachers, my parents, my administrators to find a solution. I'm here for the entire school community. So I'm going to keep coming to the board meetings, if nothing else, to share a favorite book title that month or give you a nifty statistic or to support students when they are not being listened to. Our marginalized students, whether it's a student of color, a student that's part of the LGBTQIA community, student with a disability or any other thing, I'm here for them all. Thank you for your time. That will be Marissa Mallory, Shani Murray, Chris Curtis, and Andy Falco. Good evening, Dr. Matthews, um, Executive Cabinet, President Puck, and School Board Trustees. My name is Linda Mannion, and I'm the proud president of the Association of Placentia Linda Educators. Woo! I represent 92% of the Together, we stand shoulder to shoulder advocating for our children, our, our teachers and public education. And we are Apple and our, it's our Professional Teachers Association. Our members work tirelessly at both the state and national level to ensure our schools are adequately funded so that teachers and students have all the resources they need to be a success. As a result of our work and that of other supporters of public education, this California state budget provides record funding to help address the critical shortage of teachers and support professionals ensure, ensures over 6 million students are the beneficiaries of California's robust revenues and very strong economy. The significant 13% increase in the uh, local control funding formula um, is particularly beneficial to our district and will be used to recruit and retain quality teachers. In regards to special education, this has also been funded, but it's not funded at a level that, that we need. And I would like to ask your help in advocating for fully funding um, uh, IDEA through federal funding and call your legislator, call your congressman. Please, we need please to help for special child in PYL. She will be a senior at Valencia High School this year. My son is, chose to leave the district and will be starting his freshman year at a private high school this week. A um, couple things. One, I love the after-shoot training for the adults, but we're missing for the kids. There are programs out there. I'll be teaching my own students through a four-day curriculum in two weeks from now. The focus is on teachers and students and how they can survive until the police get on campus. Feel free to email me. I'll give you that information. You can come watch it in action in two weeks from now. Secondly, as a swim mom, sports funding, we need new touch pads and CTS systems on all the campuses. Now, what I really came to talk about was iReady. There are great teachers on this, throughout this district. Too many teachers are relying on computerized programs. And iReady is one of those programs that I've been trained in. My school, after receiving training, chose to drop that program. Um, as a staff, we actually pulled up my son's scores 
He was in eighth grade last year at Bernardo. We took his seventh grade scores, pulled those up, deciphered those, and we asked about the discrepancy between the seventh grade scores and eighth grade scores. The iReady trainer told us his seventh grade scores were unreliable because so many of the kids took those at home. Now we're planning our training and our education and our lessons on scores that are unreliable. It's time for the teachers, the administrators to go and actually ask the kids about it already, ask the parents about it already, table this vote a month, and talk to these yeah. on the cameras first. Yeah. My name is Shani, and I hate to do this, but I live in trustee area one, and my public comment is for my area one representative, Sean Youngblood. In the past year, I've sent eight emails to him directly, and I've CC'd him on another 20 to the board. Not once has he responded. Every other trustee has. My emails have voiced concerns over his lack of support for public education, his lack of confidence in our amazing teachers and their expertise, his blurring of church and state boundaries and lack of respect for LGBTQ plus students, his lack of engagement with our community, disregard for public health, and misunderstanding of CRT and the practical implications of the ban he supported. Now I hear he has also potentially violated the Brown Act. So I asked the board to approve the resolution to address potential violations, because while he might not feel the need to acknowledge my concerns, there needs to be some accountability. Thank you. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Hi, my name is Chris Curtis. I'm a 30 year plus Yorba Linda resident. I am a firefighter for a local fire department. I am a dad, which is my most thing I'm proud of. Uh, I've also coached baseball and softball in Yorba Linda and Plus Central Linda. Um, we have an important election coming up, all right? Two of these board members that are currently on here will be running and... mandatory vaccines for whatever <laughs> baloney is coming down the pike, or monkeypox, or mandatory masking, vote for these two buffoons, okay? If you want to put your kids first, okay? Parents first and America first, you need to vote for Rich Engel, who is a dad, a coach, and an attorney in our area, or Todd Frazier, who is also a dad. He's a coach and he is in county. Okay? Elections have consequences. Let's vote for those two people. Thank yes. you. Up next after Andy will be June Shane, Shari Palaki, Carly Roselle, and John Roselle. I just want to share some information I think it's important for the parents to know and, the, and the, the, the school board to know, the district managers, and that um, is how amazing the Orange County Sheriff is, their academy that the police officers go. Um, 
as an Anaheim police officer, I went through the Orange County Sheriff's Academy for 35 years. I've trained officers throughout North America, South America, and Europe on tactics on active shooter. And I am a, a court recognized expert where I testify in court cases involving any time a police officer uses force, they send the case to me to look at to make sure that everything was done correctly. The reason I'm sharing that with you is to give you a little foundation to tell you that I've never had a case in Orange County, ever. The training that I got from the Orange County Sheriff's Department has allowed me to train these other officers throughout the world with the things that I learned at the academy and my ongoing training at the academy also. I've also trained at the academy and Golden West Police Academy. We have the best police officers here. We have the best academy. I want you to feel strongly that our children are safe. One additional thing that we do need, though, is, as Willis mentioned, is we should have SROs in every school, not just high schools, not just middle schools. sure that they know these buildings and the schools are available. I know it's difficult, but they should be able to train in these schools when we're not using, when the students aren't using them on the weekends or in the evenings. Uh, we used a couple in Orange County where I could walk through a school with my eyes closed. That's the inside of the schools, not just the outside of the schools. And great to meet you, uh, Dr. Matthews. I was encouraged by your opening remarks. Thank you. June Jen. Uh, recently, Woosboro decides to reduce the number of sixth grade gate classes and combine all the kids into a large class with 35 students. Uh, many kids in the waiting list cannot get in the gate program at Woosboro because of this reduction. This is the third time that I came to address this issue. So far, the only response we got is this is a personnel issue. Parents have no right to know the details. As an industrial and system engineering professor, I think something is wrong in the system. Many parents' talks uh, in the board meeting support my thought. Here are some topics parents addressed recently. Schools use iReady to replace the teacher's job. Students did not get enough attention from teachers. Students have bad reading grades. All of these issues share a common reason. That is, California has um, the California's uh, students to teacher ratio is 35% higher than the national average. So imagine with 35 students in one class, if the teacher spends 10 minutes grading each student's work, it would take about six hours. Now you know why our kids don't get enough attention. Amen. So uh, here I will sincerely request PYL Street District start to work on reducing the class size and add another sixth grade gate class. Hi. Um, as you guys know, there are a few more weeks until school begins. This is the third month that I have um, come here um, expressing my concerns. I'm hoping and I'm wondering if you guys have done something and have prepared something for your staff to put some safeguards in place for our students who are persuaded into the transgender lifestyle. Um, as many of you know, and you in the audience, there are secrets in PYLUSD. Um, students are coming into school and asking teachers and staff to call them by a different name. 
and the staff is doing that. So let's say Julie comes to school and asks to be called John. The staff and the teachers are calling this child John. But when they talk to the student's parents, they're calling this child Julie. So we have a secret between an adult and a child in our schools, and they are keeping the parents in the dark. And that is happening in an elementary school. You also know that I personally have a friend whose daughter has been um, persuaded into this transgender ideology, and it has turned their family upside down. And the student did not get any help. There needs to be safeguards in place so that the student also can see other ways out of whatever the situation that they're in, they are in. Safeguards need to be put in place to protect Please these children. Carly Rizal, and I would like I would ask you guys to vote no on iReady because um, I feel it's not challenging and it feels like busy work, so our teacher doesn't have to teach us. <laughs> and it's very automated, isolating, and boring, and there's no class participation or teacher interaction. The purpose of iReady was to make education for students fun, but it's not fun at all. And if you don't complete enough time, you are required to stay in for recess. Sometimes we don't have recesses at all because of this tedious program. Taking away all of our recesses is very unfair to students. I ask that you vote no on iReady so students can have more fun at school, and which would promote positive associations with school and students. Thank you for your time. John, and I'm asking you not to improve I ready because it doesn't improve my mind, and whenever I don't finish it, I have to stay in for recess and keep continuing it. And when I do my diagnostic for my placement test, they tell me not to rush, but whenever it's a day pass, they tell me to hurry up because it's going to be due soon. And it's just a babysitter for teachers that don't want to do their job. Thank you. Shani Boone and Raquel F. So I'll repeat it just in case you didn't hear. Curtis McCatherine, Nicole Avila, Shani Boone, and Raquel F. Thank you, members of the board. Um, we have heard many stories. I think I've heard that phrase about 100 times since I've been coming to the school board meeting starting last year. Uh, the first time I was ever in this room was a much more joyous occasion. Uh, my oldest son was on the Science Olympiad team that went to nationals from Kramer uh, a few years ago. And we sat in those chairs right there. And we were honored by the board and the executive committee uh, before going to Cornell to represent all of Southern California uh, in the Science Olympiad competition. 
his younger brother is now entering this year. And this last weekend, we built a trebuchet. I don't know if you know what a trebuchet is, but it, ours throws a tennis ball. Uh, they used to throw very large boulders at castles. Um, and uh, in the end, our trebuchet came out two inches too high. And my son was like, you know, we'll just we'll just go. We'll we'll go to these uh, the next meeting and we'll explain what we did. We'll explain we're going to change it later. And we did that. But I had to really impress upon him that no, the rules matter. Like ours being a few inches taller means that we could maybe throw our tennis ball a little farther than everybody else. This comes up, and I want us to make sure that we pass the resolution that corrects the issues of the Brown Act violations that this committee had. Um, we have heard stories are not facts. And the facts that we have is that not all of our trustees have been following the rules. Thank you. Hi, my name is Nicole Avila, and um, I want to bring something to the attention and ask a question. The last five weeks of school, my 11-year-old son had to select a book to read, and the teacher had a specific selection of books she recommended for them to read. As a straight-A student, my son, of course, selected a book she recommended. When he came home from school, he said he needed me to buy him this book, Orbiting Jupiter. I asked what it was about, and he said he didn't know, but his teacher said it was good. So I looked it up, and it was about a 14-year-old boy that was just getting out of juvenile hall to go live with the foster family because he had attempted to kill his teacher um, after taking drugs in the restroom. But that's not what the story is about. It is about the 14-year-old boy trying to find his daughter that he had had while he was in juvenile hall. So I had emailed the teacher and asked for her recommendation books so we could pick out a more appropriate book. She never emailed her list of um, recommended books. I'm not sure why, but she never emailed it. However, she did email me back at the end of the next day, uh, reiterating it was his choice. But remember, he's a straight-A student, and he knows to get an A, he should pick what the teacher recommends, because I'm a teacher myself. So I'm wondering what the policy is for books that are recommended to children, and do these books need to be approved? So if, can teachers just throw any books out because my son is 11, and he's in sixth grade, and I did not feel this was an appropriate book? Also, um, the chief that was here speaking earlier, just um, something, does he have access to keys for the schools? That was just something else I wanted to bring up. All right. Thank you guys. And sometimes we're having difficulty hearing you guys as well. Okay. Thank you. Hello everyone. I'm Shaney. Um, I want to thank all of the district members and board members for your time. Um, I'm a staff member in PYLUSD as well as being a parent here for 14 years. It's finally my last year as I have a senior. Um, I have a lot at stake in regards to the instruction in our district, as well as the success of our public school system. There have been some posts and flyers by some of the newcomers running for the board to get our board members to be of Christian faith. Let's get as many as we can in the Christian faith so that they can infuse those beliefs in the decisions made for our district. So where does that leave me? I am of the Jewish faith, as is my son, who's going to be a senior this year. What about all the other students with various beliefs? Christian beliefs do not belong in the district boardroom or schools. We have to remember that the public schools um, believe in equity for all students. And please, I just ask that you remember this when you're making decisions that affect staff and students at the district level. I also want to express that instruction and resource decisions belong in the hands of teachers we trust. 
It's hard to believe that a resource such as BrainPop was discontinued because of some of the topics being controversial. If we just trust our teachers to choose what's best to engage our students, they will be more successful in the classroom. Some of the teachers at my school shared how they loved BrainPop. One said, the amount of topics on there encompasses so much of our primary grade curriculum. We could literally use it daily to review them. The students are 100% engaged when BrainPop is on because it is kid-friendly and educational. It's hard to read this. It looks like it's Dem Woodsboro parents. Um, Lou, I apologize if that's wrong. You can tell me when you get up here. Um, then Paul Kunkel and Jocelyn Rodowski. Go ahead. Hello, I'm a parent of three in the district and a teacher. I consistently speak on the key to maintaining an excellent school district, which is with excellent teachers. As a former charter school teacher, we didn't have a union. My colleagues and I consistently worked 12-hour days and weekends, providing direct instruction, writing lesson plans, communicating with parents, grading. The list is a mile long. Being a great teacher is one of the hardest jobs in the world. It is emotionally, physically, mentally, and financially draining. In my teaching career, I've had the pleasure to work with some of our nation's most dedicated and talented teachers, people I would trust with my own children. And most of those teachers, including myself, have left the traditional classroom. There is a teacher shortage in this country, which is something we should all be concerned about. But let me be clear, there isn't a shortage of people who love to teach kids. There's a shortage of people who can pour every part of themselves into their students only to be disrespected and unsupported for a pay that is laughable. What is this board doing to support our teachers? If a program or resource is on the chopping block, what are we doing to replace it? We need to trust our teachers to know what resources, what professional development, whatever it is that they need for our students. Thank you. is that Hindu, I respect a group of students and parents at Woodsboro Elementary School Aid Program. Today, I would like to take this opportunity to ask some questions to the board to see if the curtain student-teacher ratio at the sixth grade Woodsboro Gate Program is unreasonable. As a new immigrant, I care about my children's education. However, I'm not very familiar with the education system here. According to the information obtained from the public website, the student-to-teacher ratio of PYUSD is 25 to 1, while the date of the Woodsboro 6th grade gate class is 35 to 1. I would like to ask if any of you stay in such a large size class when you were a child. The curtain situation is that there are still many children on the waiting list and an experienced gate teacher has been assigned to the regular class. Should Woodsboro add another class for sixth grade students? I just for that question. Thank you. 
name is Paul Kunkel. I'm here because I have a daughter in the school district. Sorry, I haven't seen some of you in a while. Busy life, so on and so forth. Um, so it looks like sports have gone up, which this, this expense puts some kids outside of being able to play sports. And other these some of these other special, you know, like band and stuff like that. The cost of this stuff going up hurts kids. Kids that do sports and music and other things do better in school. And I saw, so my daughter was telling me now that last year I spent over $2,000 for my daughter to be in swim and in water polo. This year, that expense is going to almost double. Um, and I don't think this is fair. I didn't pay for any of that stuff when I was a kid. Um, we used to have, you know, band and all that stuff. And like I said, kids that do sports and play instruments, they do better in school. They do, they do better in life. They learn life lessons from their coaches and their teachers that, you know. And so I, it, it kind of hurts me to see that these costs go up because that is going to hurt some kids. That's going to limit certain kids from being able to play. And there are some kids out there don't have a lot of money, but are really good at sports. And it could lead to something for them future down the road. Not maybe, maybe they're not good with books or good with this. I mean, I was never good in school, but you know, sports taught me this or that. And now I'm a business owner of multiple businesses, sports for our kids, cheap free sports. My name is Jocelyn Bordowski, and I too actually want to speak to the sports. That wasn't planned. Um, I too ask with all the extra funding we've been given if we can't find a better way to support our students in sports and other extracurricular activities. Um, just for our family, we have two kids, and um, it's $6.50 each for an initial fair share. And they say, well, you know, you don't really have to pay that if you can't afford it. But what kid wants to come back to school and tell his teammates or that you can't afford it? So that becomes a really awkward conversation for a lot of kids that this gentleman was talking about. Um, so it starts out at 650, so if you have two kids and you add that together, um, we, come, we come up to $1,300 and then we add in busing fees and ASB fees, and that's only for one sport, so we're up to $2,500. And if you have a cheerleader, it's $5,000. So, and if you have twins that are cheerleaders, that's $10,000. <laughs> so as you can see, it can all add up pretty quickly. And I know we had some funding that we were shuffling last year, but it seems to me that if we can spend money on yoga for teachers, that we can find a way to support our students better in their athletics. And also I ask that you vote no on item 22 for iReady. My kids are beyond that now, but it's not a productive program. Our test scores are down. And they could either be down because I already assesses poorly or because the kids just don't like it. But either way, we've given it a good try. We need to let it go, move on, and do something better. Yeah. All right, so next we're going to move on to staff presentations. And I'm going to pass it over to Dr. Abbs. Yes. Oh. I'm sorry, I didn't see it in here. 
Yep, there it is. Sorry, I apologize. Come on up, Emily. I'm stuck with the other. My name is Emily Roselle, and I have one kid left in this district out of four. We have removed our other three out of the district currently. Um, to the lady in the mask who complained about Sean, Karen's never responded to an email in two years, or Carrie, just to let you know. So, um, I'm also asking you guys not to prove I ready, as um, Jocelyn said before me. It's it's either it's not working, or the the kids totally do not like it. Obviously, my kids have complained to me about it. Um, we have had teachers that use it, you know, to keep my kids in for recess if they don't finish it, which during COVID, that was the only time they could breathe and talk to their friends. And that was crucial. And to be, be sitting in for recess, it just, I just did not find that productive at all. In fact, I was really ashamed that that was a punishment but, um, you know, we, Dr. Matthews, you talked about our scores, our reading scores. It's a huge concern. We've got to try something else, and we've got to get our kids off technology. I don't think this is just a district problem. I think this is a home problem mm -hmm. as well. Yes. COVID did some serious damage with our kids, and parents had to go to work. And Apple, you guys kept our kids out of school. Yeah. So don't stand up here and smile and say you're for the kids. Yeah. You guys did that. You could have stood up against the teachers union and you didn't you went with them. Thank you. Good evening, President Back, Board of Trustees, Superintendent Matthews, Executive Cabinet, and members of the community. It is our pleasure to present an overview of the recent implementation of academic intervention through the hiring of academic support teachers, also known as ASTs, at eight of our elementary schools this most recent school year. A review of our iReady baseline data in the fall of 2021, at the beginning of the year, along with hearing the concerns from our elementary teachers and administrators about the larger than typical learning gaps they were observing in their students, following our return to school after the pandemic, prompted the need for us to take action and provide intervention support <laughs> to our most struggling students. It was with this need in mind that we called upon our team of instructional coaches to begin the process of in-depth collaboration and development of the academic support teacher intervention plan. The growth that we saw amongst our students of highest need was both significant and extremely encouraging, given support was only provided for a little over three short months from February to June of 2022. You'll recall our original intention had been to partner with an outside company with whom we expected to contract to provide credential tutors for small group personalized intervention. But this was prior to the nationwide hiring shortage experienced by so many companies in the winter of last school year and with limited tutors available, we found ourselves in January of 2022 needing to pivot. It is for this reason that we began the process of developing our very own PYL intervention program, resulting in the recruitment, hiring, and training of our own credentialed, credentialed reading teacher, teacher specialists, or ASTs. And so it was that the Academic Support Teaching Program was born. It's my pleasure at this time to call on our Director of Elementary Education, Dr. Liz Leone, 
who led the charge for this meaningful work and program and to whose oversight I attribute its successful implementation. Tonight, she will lead you through the rationale related to the program's <coughs> development and take time to share with you some of the many specific successes we experienced as a result, along with our goals to expand on the success and reach more students in need. Dr. Leon. Thank you, Dr. Adamson. We set out to create an intervention support model by first casting the vision and sharing the rationale. In doing so, and as adult learning theory states, you must establish direction by providing people in the organization with clarity about the why this initiative is important. Data showed we needed to provide support. We had to address unfinished learning and find a way to accelerate learning to narrow learning gaps. Another important component of the communication was to provide the what, as in what does success look like? What are we aspiring to accomplish? And what does an effective intervention model look like? Success was measured by the growth in standards mastery as a part of pre and post assessments and was accomplished by maintaining fidelity with a consistent model of small group push into the classroom support. Finally, and after establishing the rationale and identifying the goal we aim to accomplish, we needed to address the how. How do we get there and how can we ensure coherence, minimize variables and promote accountability for learning? Some highlights of what we did were, we planned and prepared intervention lessons. We administered pre and post assessments and progress monitored for accountability. We communicated progress with classroom teachers and parents for accountability and integrated academic support teachers in student study team and professional learning community meetings to ensure consistency and promote collaboration. With that in mind, we look to proven research strategies to anchor our decision to provide one of the greatest supports we can to students as a part of a multi-tiered system of support, specifically tier two, which is targeted small group instruction. The optimal service delivery model of small group instruction is data-driven, includes progress monitoring on a regular basis, and one in which students are provided with explicit instruction using differentiated strategies. The results speak for themselves, but here is some data to show the impact of the service delivery model at some of the eight schools receiving academic support teacher intervention. In three short months, students made substantial growth. Students were behind with foundational skills coming into the school year and following intensive small group instruction, student results indicated promising evidence of their ability to master priority standards and now access grade level literacy and math standards. Here's another example of the struggle second grade students demonstrated with foundational kindergarten literacy skills two years below with what they should know to even be able to access their own grade level standards. The pictures show the purposeful differentiation strategies that academic support teachers provided to engage students after whole group direct instruction. Academic support teachers also worked on math skills. Students were given a pretest. The blue bar represents the pretest grade level priority standards and the red bar is the post-test with priority standards. In between, academic support teachers isolated targeted standards and measured growth after five consecutive lessons during small group instruction. 
teachers agree about the growth and the positive impact on students. I saw confidence grow in the students and improved performance. As in the previous slide, here's another school's English language arts and math data, highlighting the growth of the foundational skills third and fourth grade students needed, for example, in the area of operations and algebraic thinking as one of the priority standards. Here's a combination of English language arts and math support given to students based on grade level specific needs. In the primary grades, schools identified English language arts as a focus area, whereas one of the many advantages of the academic support teacher model is the ability for schools to tailor intervention support based on grade level student needs. The next two slides continue to show the positive result gains. And showing once again how intervention support was tailored to each school site needs. There's nothing more rewarding than hearing what students have to say about how this intervention helped them to build confidence and ability. This is why we do the work. And these student quotes bring joy to my heart, knowing students feel students' feelings about themselves as learners and mathematicians have changed for the better. Math groups are fun and helpful. I get more answers right on my homework and in class. The small group gives me different ways to learn and understand math problems. I love receiving extra math help. I was getting F's on my tests and now I'm getting A's and B's. Mrs. Dell makes learning fun and she helps me like math. It's not about saying we need to provide intervention, but rather our students need us to provide intervention. Here's a video showing an example of the academic support teacher and classroom teacher working in tandem to provide tier two intervention support. As you can see, we have one group of students working with the classroom teacher. And another with the academic support teacher. While some students are using technology to access and reinforce their learning and skills until they go into their rotation, ensuring they all have equal time. Dr. Adamson will now present an overview of our next steps. 
Well, as Dr. Leone has highlighted, the positive academic growth and results that we experienced at these eight elementary schools in just a little over three short months speak for themselves. The video you just viewed, along with the photos depicted on this slide, present a window into just some of the many engaging learning activities our academic support teachers provided to our students that resulted in the positive student achievement outcomes that we presented to you this evening. Quality intervention is a research-based instructional approach that has been proven to yield high results and have a strong positive influence on student learning and achievement. Not only is this evidenced by the significant growth that we observed amongst our students receiving intervention, but it is also evidenced by the significant improvement all elementary students demonstrated. We are pleased to see the total percentage of students just at the elementary level, so looking at our K through 6th grade students, who scored at or above grade level increased to 66% in math and 68% in reading at the end of last school year. Also significant was the decrease in the number of students reading two or more reading levels below grade level, which dropped from 19% at the beginning of last school year to just 10% at the end of the year in reading, and from 20% to just 8% in math. Once again, significant improvement to which we attribute the intentional, consistent, and measured approach that we followed in providing quality intervention. And as one would expect in our ongoing desire to duplicate these positive results, we seek to not only continue, but also expand the program. As we shared with you during our TK presentation last month, we're extremely excited to announce that for the 22-23 school year, every elementary school will have one full-time full academic support teacher, allowing us to provide academic intervention and support to all students in need at every one of our elementary school sites for the coming year. I'd like to thank and commend our dedicated site administrators and team of instructional coaches for their support and work towards making our vision become a reality. The training and assistance that our academic support teachers received along the way was exceptional. This training, along with the endless hours of hard work and planning that they dedicated to the process, ultimately led to the success that our students experienced and will serve as the model for the continuation and expansion of this program in the 22-23 academic school year. It remains to be said that these are the results that we observed in just three short months. The growth that we should expect to see in a full academic year promises to be significant. We look forward to sharing with you the ongoing successes and the increasing number of students who we know will continue to benefit in the coming year. going to actually, when we were talking about um, what we're looking forward to for next year, I really wanted to have this come back. So I'm beyond thrilled that we're doing this because it takes, um, it, it can reduce class size for those various opportunities. It can support teachers. It's it's credentialed people that can step in at a moment's notice and, and take over. And um, I'm really thrilled. Um, yes. First of all, when I was watching the video, it, it just really makes me think of the time when I was a classroom volunteer. And not all classrooms have volunteers, and certainly not all volunteers aren't necessarily ready and prepared to do certain um, learning exercises with students, depending on what it is. Um, this has the potential to, as, as evidenced here, to do such right things for the students. Um, I did have a question because I was just trying to, in the beginning stages, understand, you know, how this came in, into the format that it has gone. 
and, and there was the mention um, by Dr. Leon about reducing the variables. I was just a little curious to explore that, what that referred to. Yes, thank you. And what that refers to is to minimize the differences in how the implementation of the academic support teacher model was rolled out. And so we made sure to maintain consistency where um, the teacher met with six to eight students maximum. And so that we could, for example, attribute that they were all getting a pre-assessment doing interim um, progress monitoring so that those were consistent variables. And so by minimizing meaning, we were very structured in the way that the, that the model was rolled out. We provided specific parameters um, for accountability purposes. I had check-ins with the academic support teacher where they came and brought their data with them. We talked about and had, um, we looked at the qualitative data um, as well as the quantitative data, meaning they brought student work samples in. We had discussions about the specific progress or lack of um, student progress. And so that that's what I mean by variables in data. Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment. I'm very excited that these are going to be at every elementary school and they're hired and they're ready to um, start at the beginning of the year. And it just shows how important small group intervention is and how valuable it is. And I'm grateful that, you know, as a board, you're spending more money that way where it really matters. And and I am looking forward to seeing the, the test results in this you know, next summer of the growth that we've experienced because of this. So thank you. For your support in going along with this program, which we, we brought this forward to you in October, November of last school year. And at that time, as I indicated, reminded us that really wasn't an outside program we were going to. Sometimes changes come bearing gifts, and I think this was a perfect example because it really allowed us to put our own program and, and really, you know, our own PYL born uh, teachers and, and credential teachers who we've hired ourselves to be given the instruction as well. So, thank you. All right, great. Thank you so much. Okay, so moving on, we're going to general functions, and again, we're going to skip number one and we'll move on to number two. Okay. Thank you, President Buck. Um, so included on the agenda tonight for your consideration uh, under general functions is resolution 22-04, which is titled Resolution to Correct Potential Brown Act Violations that Took Place During the February 2nd, 2022 Board Meeting. Earlier, and this is detailed in the memo in the Board Meeting, but um, earlier this year, a complaint was filed with the Orange County District Attorney's Office, alleging that President Kerry Butts' adjournment of meetings due to audience members refusing to wear masks was a Brown Act violation. The Brown Act is a, a very important uh, law that governs meetings conducted by local legislative bodies, such as boards of supervisors, city councils, and of course, school boards. <coughs> it's found in the California Government Code, beginning of section code, section 54950, and details the open meeting requirements for school boards and other legislative bodies. The Orange County District Attorney investigated the complaint and reached the conclusion that President Buck did not violate the Brown Act with her actions. However, in the course of their investigation, District Attorney found other potential violations concerning the February 2nd, 
2022. And these violations are considered potential at this time because the district attorney has given the board the opportunity to address and remedy those findings by approving this resolution. As such, if the board addresses those findings, the district attorney has recommended by approving this resolution 22-04, no further action from the Orange County District Attorney will be necessary. And as such, staff recommends approval. We do have uh, district counsel, Mr. Todd Robbins from the, from the firm of Atkinson, Anderson, Loyal, Romo, and Rube here to answer your questions if you have them. I'll leave it to the board for your discussion and then uh, for the vote. Thank you. We probably need to take a motion in a second and then we can have discussion. <clears throat> I'll make a motion to approve resolution number 22-04 to address the remedy potential Brown Act violations. Second. Anybody have any comments? Uh, as uh, we discussed in closed session, um, I'll be abstaining from this vote. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, we have uh, we've kind of talked around it, not only with our attorney, uh, but you know, being an avid CSI guy, I'm pretty sure that any investigation would require that they would actually talk to the people that they're investigating. And since that didn't happen, I'll abstain. I was uh, back reading this again, and I was curious, who wrote this resolution? Uh, the, yeah, I just didn't write it. Who did? I did. Okay, because I was reading this, and the, um, the letter, if you look at the letter from the district attorney, mm -hmm. the only thing that it says is that the board considered resolutions proposed by Trustee Leander Blades that were not on the special meeting agenda and did not qualify as emergency measures. And then it goes into Sean. But then on here, it starts listing a bunch of other things that didn't have to deal with the emergency measures. And so I was curious as to why that was added if the district attorney hadn't pointed that out. Can you point to what you're referring to? Yes, it's the 53 minutes into the meeting, Trustee Leona Blades asserting an emergency exists pursuant to government code 54942. Goes there, made a motion to approve an item. And then it goes into... Um, Majority of the vote did not vote that. Mm -hmm. There was the need. And then it goes into two-thirds. It just seems that there are some extra stuff added um, right there. But I think it actually, I was just curious who wrote it because I think it actually um, helped um, clear some stuff up. And so I was just curious um, why that was added and how it didn't just address that they didn't think that what we were in constituted an emergency. So the whereas statements lay out mm -hmm. the kind of factual situation mm -hmm. surrounding the allegations. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it was prepared after reviewing the audio from the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you create a resolution, you lay out the factual basis for the resolution. Okay. If it's, a, if it's, for example, if you're doing a resolution to, I don't mean to use this example lightly, but to do a layoff you would lay out the factual basis mm -hmm. supporting the reason. So that's why that's here. Okay. Because um, it's relevant to the remedies mm -hmm. sought by the DA. Okay. So um, basically, when we were in, in this January meeting, we had had um, the first meeting was adjourned after four minutes for some masks. And during the first meeting, a mesh mask policy or rule 
was implemented unilaterally by the board president and our superintendent without notifying the board. And also there was basically beforehand, it was determined that if somebody didn't wear a mask, that it was going to be adjourned unilaterally. And this was planned out and the board was not notified. And our old superintendent had told us that this was part of the thing. So at the next meeting, same thing happened. I saw everybody wearing masks and there was one who was mask exempt and I guess that's why it was um, adjourned again. This mesh mask policy, I consider this to be an emergency because of these factors. There was a mesh mask policy that was brought up and it was started to be implemented in the school. Suddenly we had 40 plus students at some school sites out in the cold or sent home and not being have access to an education. We had principals tell us that they couldn't do their jobs efficiently because of these mask issues. Dr. Chow came out and stated that there was no mesh mask guidance from the CDPH or from OC Health. I tried to get a special meeting to talk about this mask issue and I was denied. We had staff members who were calling in sick. We were short staffed. Our district staff was having to go to multiple school sites to babysit these kids who were left out in the cold because of a mesh mask or because their mask was not deemed appropriate. For the past year, they had been wearing a certain mask and suddenly this unilateral mask mesh mask rule came down and suddenly their mask was not appropriate anymore. We had protests outside of our schools. It was literally chaotic. The phone, our phone would blow up all day long with parents that were calling in tears because their kids were being sent home or sent out of the classroom because of the mask that they had been wearing, the same mask they've been wearing an entire year. Nobody understood what was going on. But then what was also happening was we were having discriminatory practices being done because we would have a wrestling tournament, say at a high school, people are in there unmasked during school hours, but then next door in the classrooms, kids are being kicked out because of a mesh mask or because of a mask that's suddenly not deemed appropriate. And parents are saying, what is going on here? Kids were left unsupervised in hallways, sent home, no education, no contact with the school district. So we had all of this stuff going on and we're also in state emergency in the state of California. So in my opinion, this mesh mask rule policy, whatever this was, created chaos and teachers and principals and everyone was saying it is impossible for us to do our daily job because we are so busy with these masks and we're so busy calling parents or pulling kids out of classrooms. We have to go babysit. We have to do all of this stuff. We cannot teach our students. So because of these two unilateral adjournments of these meetings, we couldn't get anything on an agenda because we had no time to speak. Our constituents didn't have any time to speak. So when this special board meeting started off that it was going to be that we were supposed to go to a virtual board meeting, that was what the original meeting was. And then after Newsom was seen at the Super Bowl mask list with everyone else, suddenly it became, well, let's push this out. The, the special board meeting agenda changed to let's push this out to, we're not gonna do it until 15th or 16th when supposedly Newsom was going to 
remove this, this order. So the phone calls, the lawsuits, after one of these adjournments, I was served with paperwork for lawsuits or whatever this thing was that I was served with. I was served by an attorney. Um, we were served, I think, at the second one as well. So we have all of this stuff happening. And so what is an emergency in a school? It's a work stoppage. This, the, the code section I used was 54954.2B2. And that talks about work stoppages. It talks about all kinds of stuff. We're in a pandemic. And in my, in my opinion, our work had stopped. When our district staff has to go to schools and they have to go watch kids because they're being kicked out because of masks, is our work stopping? So I tried to get on the agenda for the special board meeting. I tried to get this on so we could talk about it because parents were concerned. We were being, lawsuits were being filed. All of this stuff was happening. And it was all because of a mesh mask policy. We had been okay. If you didn't wear your mask in the classroom, you know, they kicked you out, that was fine. The mesh mask policy changed everything. We had teachers and we had principals pulling kids' masks off and shining flashlights through them. Can we see light on the other side of this mask? Well, I took a paper mask and I could see light shining through the paper mask too that the district was handing out. So I didn't really see like the relevancy there. But also too is we were actually with this mesh mask policy, Dr. Chow stated there is no guidance from the CDPH or the OC Health. So we had now taken a step further and we were going stricter than what they were, in my opinion. So that is why I decided to try to use this section, because I did believe we were in an emergency. If you ask the parents who were having to leave work, if you were asked the students who were denied an education because they were sent outside because of someone's opinion on what mask was appropriate or not, I would say that they would believe that they were in an emergency. Their child was not receiving an education for sometimes 15 days, 30 days. Yes, so I was. tried to use that section. And I was told that it was a gray area. They wouldn't recommend it, but I was told it was a gray area and it can be interpreted both ways. So I tried it. And so I was contacted by the Gavel Project who has taken me on as a, um, their nonprofit. And so I have an attorney now. And so after, and my attorney is um, Tracy Henderson and they are doing it for pro bono. And so basically when they looked at what this was, they don't believe that there is a potential Brown Act violation because when I moved this forward, I was denied. I tried to use it as an emergency item to be placed on the agenda. I was denied three to two. No one wanted to hear the agenda item. And so I believe they don't want the agenda item. They don't believe we're in this emergency. So I don't see how this is a potential Brown Act violation. Um, and I've asked, too, to reach out to the district attorney. I said, because he never talked to me. He never contacted me. I asked to speak to him so he could see, does he know what our state of mind was? Does he know all of the things that were going on in our school district due to this mesh mask rule, policy, whatever this was? Um, and they didn't have any interest in speaking to me. So that's when I had to reach out and get an attorney because I really believe, from the bottom of my heart, we were in an emergency situation. And so, but... Since I was denied getting this uh, mesh mask policy reversed um, onto the agenda, technically, um, since it never made the agenda, how is it a Brown Act violation? And so that's kind of where I'm standing on there. Um, I haven't been explained what an emergency actually it's going to constitute. We're in a state of emergency right now, aren't we, in the state of California? If it's not COVID, yeah. it's monkeypox. 
Um, and so my my question is, and it's still, how was this not a state of emergency? What can constitute a state of emergency in our schools? Is hundreds of kids not receiving an education because of a mask, or somebody's opinion on a mask, is that an emergency? Is our district staff being moved to different schools to babysit and they can't do their work? Are principals not being able to do their work? Are discriminatory practices where certain people don't have to wear masks and other people do? Is that an emergency? So those are my questions, but also too, I do, um, once again, since this item never made it to the agenda, how is it a Brown Act violation? And I even asked to put it on the agenda for the February 8th meeting. And I was denied again to be heard for this mask policy. And so that's my question here is what would constitute an emergency in our schools? They give us these government codes for a reason. And I did um, seek advice and opinions from people. And everyone said that this when we were well within our rights to use this to try to get this on to stop the chaos in our schools and to keep the kids in the classroom and in schools. And so that's why I did what I did. And so I still haven't heard um, what this emergency is. I still, um, council has sent a letter to the district attorney. Um, I sent an email to the district attorney and said they're gonna look into it. So I'm really kind of at a loss right now as to what to do with this vote because I'm having counsel tell me that it wasn't a Brown Act violation, and I have Todd Spitzer saying he's looking into this um, further. And so I'll do what's good for the board, um, but I think that there's a lot of stuff that we have to look into here because these were like unprecedented times. And so to someone just to say, no, this is an emergency. Well, is it an emergency? Like, does it have to be a fire or flood, or is it? hundreds of kids not having an education and being removed from the classroom um, and chaos, protests outside of school, uh, teachers and principals going out on leave because of the stress. I mean, what constitutes an emergency in schools would be my question. And so I just wanted everyone here to know what my state of mind was when I did this government code. And I was really trying to get all of these kids back into the classroom, just as they were all the way up until this January board meeting where this mesh mask policy was implemented. And that was my intention. You did what was right. DA said you did not fire the Brown Well, first of all, we have to take turns talking. So you had your opportunity to speak. So if there's anybody else that would like an opportunity to speak related to this. Okay. I give uh, Leander my time. You had, you already mentioned, you had your comments on this. Um, well, I, I, I would also like to point out that during this time when these board, mem board meetings were unilaterally being dismissed, adjourned, okay, 
Mr. Youngblood asked for meetings to rectify this because as it's reading right now is you can bank the gavel whenever you would like to and end a meeting. And so we were trying to get on the record so this would stop. And we were told that there was no interest in that from you. And so I do think that we do need as a board to explain to have better bylaws and put black and white issues where it's very clear that there needs to be a motion for adjournment and it's very clear what needs to happen that not one person has all of the power to just bang a gavel and the meeting is over that's a board so could i ask a question based on the brown act who is allowed to adjourn a meeting so uh, government code section 54955 is what governs adjournment and it says the legislative body of a local agency may adjourn any regular adjourned regular special or adjourned special meeting to a time and place specified in the order of adjournment less than a quorum may so adjourn from time to time so that's where that language in the Brown Act is what allows less than a majority of the board to adjourn. From time to time. time, to time. That was a and so that's not in our bylaws. That's, that's in the Brown Act. That's in the bylaws. Thank you. One person fights for kids. Okay. So at this point, why don't we take a vote on this? Do you have another comment? And we're still voting. We're still voting on the resolution. There's been a lot of different Yes. So, okay. That's fine. Ms. Anderson, do you? Okay, so um, we had a motion and a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. And opposed? Okay, motion carries 3-0. Do we have one abstention? We have two, two abstentions. Two abstentions. Okay, moving on. Actually, yes. Dr. Add, one of the parts of this is that we will come back to you with a training on certain aspects of Brown Act, and we can address some of uh, Ms. Blade's question at that time, too, on what emergency sections are. And we'll probably bring back Mr. Robbins for that as well. So thank you very much, and we'll forward that to the OCDD's office. Thank you. And thank you to Mr. Robbins for being here. Yes. And since um, Marilyn is, or Mrs. Anderson, we've been. Um, look at each other. We're going to take maybe a five minute break here, really quickly, and everybody can stretch for a <laughs> we are quite strange visitors, aren't yes. we? <laughs> I mean, I teach my kids about uh, Moses and Mount Sinai.
check with Alandra just to see if there's anything, any more fireworks or anything more exciting. Um, there's a couple of agenda items that aren't uh, that big. Yes. Just on how we're going to proceed with getting things on the agenda uh, is what we're going to be talking about. So if you want to see that, then you may want to um, go to the feed for the district uh, to catch that. So thanks for watching. I'll talk to you later.